welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me this afternoon is Joshua Cutchin. He is the author of Ecology of Souls and many, many more books. And the, I think the most famous ones after that are, are the ones he co-authored with Tim Renner, Where the Footprints End. Those are the, the most recent besides Ecology of Souls. So I think those are those are the big ones. Hello. Hello. Yeah, t- Tim and I had a conversation a while back that was like, yeah, Where the Footprints End might be your legacy. <laughs> like It might not get better than, than Footprints. So, um, so yeah, that's it. And, and pardon my... Uh, the way my voice sounds, everyone, I am at the downhill slope of uh, cold. Tis the season. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And and I, I gave him the option to postpone this, but he said, nope, 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 and forged ahead. So here we are. So what are we going to talk about today, Josh? Because you came up with the idea. Let's talk about spooky Christmas and all the symbolism that you may or may not know. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. What, this is really good because Morgana... Was I mean, she just finished her semester yesterday and she was like, I'm not doing another Christmas episode because we already have two other research heavy episodes coming up. I'm not doing it. And I said, okay. She wrote five papers for this semester. So, yeah, I don't really blame her (laughs) at all. No, I don't really blame her at all. Um, But, you know, yeah, it's, it's just this, it's this funny thing where I see everybody, you know, lamenting November 1st when it rolls around and I'm like, no, you guys don't get it. (laughs) Like, that's not, that's not the way it is. Like that's Halloween is the start of all these shenanigans. It's not the end. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And, and the whole dark season is kind of my favorite time of year, probably because I come from the land of the ice and snow and, uh, am not really well suited to lots of sunlight. Yeah, I didn't used to be that way, but I've sort of gotten that way as I've gotten older. The one thing that I really do lament is that it feels like you get like, you know, five, four or five months of like summer and winter each. And then you get like six weeks of fall and spring. (laughs) And I love those transition periods. Yeah. Yeah, I like fall a lot, too. So, you know, fall and winter, I like... um... Although winter here in this part of Ohio is mostly just gray and rainy. So it's, it, we don't Ooh. get the fun. So, although you're in Georgia, yeah. I can't, that's even, yeah. Yeah. It's even, it's even worse. Cause you know, I've had Christmases where it's like 70. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, this is not, this is not feel very Christmassy. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what kind of, uh, uh, traditions do you want to talk about? I mean, I mean, Santa is is a good one. Is he real? Yeah, is was, he not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you want to get those old chestnuts out of the way, right? Yeah. Right, quickly, yeah. Chestnuts that we can roast on an open fire. Yes. Let, let's um, roast Santa then. Kidnap well, the yeah, Sandy I mean, Claus. <laughs> something that Tim hit me to um, in in Footprints uh, that I just have not been able to get on my, out of my head is that, you know, Christmas time is wild man time. You know, yep. I never really quite realize that but you know you'll have the pedants who'll say oh santa claus is based on saint nicholas and i'm like yeah but that's like saying christmas is just about the birth of christ like there's so much pageantry syncretized and glommed onto it and stuck onto it that like it's like okay yeah saint nicholas is in there but mostly it's mostly it's odin (laughs) and yeah you know and 
and all the wild man trappings that that uh, brings in you know associations with oh you know the wadwos and the wadwos having associations with dionysus and dionysus having associations with the green man and all those things yep. having associations with satyrs and fawns and you've got the perk and the Krampus. and you yep. have you have thor thor's carriage or his chariot is yep. is dragged by uh uh goats it's true and then you have uh you know uh, if you're looking at the odin thing you've got Sleipnir. yep and those eight legs and the eight tiny reindeer yeah it's um and the, the funny thing is, like, when you bring up that Santa Claus wild man thing, like, people get really sort of oddly, I've found, at least, that people get oddly defensive. And it's it's like, this isn't like Josh and Tim being crazy. Like, there are books by <laughs> tenured folklorists who say Santa Claus is a wild man. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Santa right Claus, there. Claus, last there. of the wild men, the origins and evolution of St. Nicholas spanning 50,000 years by Phyllis Schiefker. So... Yeah, you're not just making this crap up. It, it's already there. Well, which brings into question, as you sort of alluded to earlier, you know, 50,000 years. I mean, that's a deep... I mean, the wild man archetype is deep anyway, but, like, that's that's a time depth for something to have hung around our cultures in one form or another, where it seems to suggest that if you put any sort of thought into co-creation or thought forms or tulpas or something, that... Yeah, people might actually see Santa Claus, you know. I have at least one uh, personal story from one uh, interviewee who saw... His first weird thing that happened is he saw Santa Claus when he was four. And I I believe him. I mean, he, he said it was astonishing and he didn't expect that. I, you know, even if he was just half asleep and dreaming, even if it was a hypnagogic quote-unquote hallucination it's still to him it was real yeah and the interesting thing that i think of i mean i I talk about this time here and there um it's like whenever i have a dream and i fly in the dream like one of my first thoughts is oh yeah i remember how to do this you know there's something that feels very familiar about at least in my experience you know some people have I've shared that anecdote with some people and they sort of just gaze back at me blankly, but I've always had that sensation. And and to that end, I would make the comparison that, you know, I never saw Santa Claus as a kid, but looking back, it feels like I could have, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect, it doesn't feel like I could today, but it feels like I could have back then. Yeah. Because like even parts of your own home are mysterious when you're a child. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Even if it's not a big home, like there's always like that closet you don't really go into or the the shed out back or like, you know, just any number of like little nooks and crannies that we just sort of gloss over in our day to day uh, adult life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is how do you make a tulpa? You know, how do you set out to make one? But there is a process to it. It's not hard but it's not easy either so you you basically visualize something and you you visualize whatever you want the tulpa to be whether it's a person or an animal or an object you you visualize it and you essentially meditate on that 
and you think about it and you think about what kind of personality that person or animal will have, you know, and you, you go on and on. Well, the, the thing is, though, if you have more than one person working on that, if you have 10 people, well, it's a little bit easier. And I would suggest the Philip Project um, of mm-hmm. the people making the ghost up in Canada. Those Canadians always doing silly, weird things, making up ghosts. No, I think it's cool. But if you have thousands of children who all have the same basic idea of what Santa is and looks like and how he acts, well then, yeah, you you could very easily have a societal tulpa. Well, it's it's funny that there are so many people in, you know, Fortiana slash the paranormal who are quick to talk about Slenderman and they're quick to talk about, you know, Neil Gaiman, I think it was, uh, met Corinzon at a party or something like that. Um, or, you know, famously Alan Moore and Constantine. But when you come around to Santa Claus, they're like, oh, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> like, no, yeah. no way they actually saw Santa Claus. It's like, do you hear what you're saying? Because it, it's... I mean, there's as as you alluded to with that fifty thousand year uh, time frame, and just like the cross cultural nature of something like Santa Claus. I mean, I would no, I, I think it is definitely to say that you know Santa Claus is more associated with Christmas time than Christ. You know, <laughs> and more Santa yeah. Claus plays a role in people's in more people's lives than 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 Christ does. Honestly, um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it seems entirely likely that there would be a lot of different sightings here and there. And there, there are some that like, if you just do a little bit of digging, you can find quite a few. Um, obviously I didn't do my homework for this episode because I don't have any to bring to the table. Don't worry about um, it. You've, you've, but you've read it in, in the Fortean times. I've read some in the Fortean times. Right. Right. Um, um yeah, it's, it's, well, and, and, it's not hard to find. No, it's not hard to find. Um, you know, and, and on the flip side of that, it's not hard to find. Um, it's a little bit harder to find, actually. But it's it's not in- impossible to find uh, Krampus encounters this time of year. Oh, yeah. Um, just as we are a couple of days after Krampus knocked here. Um, and then, you know, depending on how you broaden out that scope, if you, if you want to talk about, like, Goatman and satyrs and fawns, people who see those, then, like, yeah, Krampus sightings you're around. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> always summer, out yeah. there. He's, he's always out there. I love Krampus now, I w- because I'll wanna... oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Finish okay. your Krampus thought. Well, I love Krampus because it, it's, it's an Alpine uh, tradition. So it's, it's the hillbillies of Germany and Austria. Seriously. The Alpine people are kind of looked down on a little bit. Bavarians are looked down on by the Prussians and they, you know, return the favor. Um, but, you know, the Black Forest and the, the Alpine regions are tough places for humans to live. So they're not going to have all the sweetness and light traditions about winter. Winter is hard. Winter is, you know, it, it, the hungry time. And if you're farmers, Every mouthful of food that doesn't go to a human or an animal to survive the winter, like a, a 
you know, your livestock and your, your farm dog, then is a true sacrifice if you give it to the spirits of the forest to keep them at bay. So it is a, a big thing to appease Krampus. It's a big thing to appease per- Perchta. It's a big thing to appease all of those spirits and to keep the wild hunt the heck away from your farm and family. Well, and as you were alluding to, um, you know, it, it does seem, uh, sorry, as we were speaking about before we started recording, it does seem that like the, the central component is sacrifice. And that uh, seems to indicate to speak to me almost like the, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's this way in other traditions too, but like the Christian tradition of tithing, like it's not based yes. upon, it's not based upon the quality of what you offer. It's based upon, you know, a percentage of what you have. Right. And so, you know, if, if you are making a sacrifice that does literally impact your day-to-day life, then I dare say that's a more important um, or a more significant sacrifice offering to the spirit world than being a rich man and offering a mini bottle of, of whiskey. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Truly. Um, it, it has to, it has to, um, it has to inconvenience you in some way. I mean, very, very similar to Lent, you know, it's not like, you know, if, if I'm a, if, if I'm a vegetarian and I give up meat for Lent, like that doesn't mean anything, you know, it has to be something yeah. that actually makes you stop and reflect. And, and, uh, and, and that is that in that sense, it's like a sacrifice of intent. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, we'll talk a little bit about sacrifice, milk and cookies. Hello. Milk and cookies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you yeah. can't leave that for Krampus. That's not. No, that's not. You you leave him alcohol. That's what he wants. You don't. I I it's would my never. Boy Krampus. <laughs> I would never offer a uh, cookie to Krampus. So you know, if you're well, teetotalers, you just just buy a little bottle. What if it's like so? So my mom makes these uh, spicy chocolate bourbon balls. See, there you that go. Have cayenne pepper and bourbon, and I think Krampus would dig that. He would yeah. dig that. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be very, very um, cool. And of course, you leave this. You know, you leave this alongside the Axis Mundi. You know, you leave it mm-hmm. alongside, uh, alongside the chimney, alongside the fireplace. It was something I picked up from Claude Lecouteau. Is how the fireplace is sort of an umbilicus between. Not only the upper and lower worlds, like we would assume in Omphalos in a lot of other contexts, but also um, external and internal, mm-hmm. you know, wild and domestic. Um, so that seems to be very important because, you know, there are tons of these stories about, you know, you return a changeling by it going up the chimney and mm-hmm. chimneys being a point of egress for spirits in general. You know, Shamans I'd be remiss fly if I would up the smoke hole of a. Yep, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Um, you know, uh, security alarm systems don't seem to bother the grays very much, do they? <laughs> I always think about that too. Um, but the other thing that Lekuto really points out, and I, this is something that every now and then you read something and it like really hits you with the sort of uh, loss and deficit that you see in our culture around us. And Lekuto's big thing was that, um, you know, we once used to orient the entire common space around the hearth. Um, it would be the place where you would have food cooking, but also like where you'd share stories and like where you'd have conversations it would always be oriented around the fireplace. And mm-hmm. now it's oriented around the damn TV, <laughs> you know, well, which is 
you know, which is okay. the opposite of yeah, which is the opposite of that though, because yeah. like it it suppresses storytelling and conversation between human beings. Like, yeah, right. this t- t- television is a storyteller, but it's not you know the same. And you know, it seems like uh, it seems like the the blue glow of the TV is almost like arconic. <laughs> Compared to the uh, to the fireplace, if that makes any sense, and the, the orange sort of glow sense. of the fireplace. Speaking of which, there's lots and lots of orange lights and orange globes and orange orange orbs out in the Fortiana, and there's also blue. And blue, interestingly, blue lights, blue glows, um, or globes or orbs are they are uh, associated with the trolls in the Norse countries. And the trolls are not all like, oh my God, they have a cave troll. They're not all like huge, gigantic, creepy. They always are a little bit creepy, but that's troll is kind of a generic for the spirits of the underworld that you don't really want to mess with those. Right. You know, the the alf or the alfar, the elves, okay, you don't really want to mess with those either because it, it's from the north mm-hmm. and everything up there will come after you and kill you. But <laughs> but they're a little bit It's like the northern easier. hemisphere is Australia. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. they're a little bit easier. They're not as, <laughs> as unpredictable as the trolls. So That's I just, you know, that whole, the arconic television, the blue glow and the orange glow of firelight. Well, mm-hmm. You know, that's something well, that's just no, smacked me in the face. That's really interesting. I think you should make a note of that part for, <laughs> yes, um, I, I for our own that. selfish purposes. Yes, um, yes. And, and like, I don't, I don't literally mean that. Like, I don't literally think that there's an archon behind television. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe there is, right? But like, I don't, I don't necessarily ascribe to that. But at the same time, like, you can't deny that um, it does have this sort of fracturing quality on the household in a lot of ways. Yeah. That. Perhaps the hearth didn't, you know. Now, I will say that in our household, every time I had a party, people gathered in the kitchen, which is our modern version of the hearth. And that happens with lots of things. Because what happens is the host is in there preparing Mm -hmm. the food and drink and, you know, refilling things, washing glasses so they can be reused. And so people just sort of wander in. And so you have a group of people that just gather in the kitchen. Well, and sometimes it's warmer in yeah. the winter months than elsewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've always noticed that too, is that, you know, you have these parties and you set everything out and before long, everybody's in the kitchen. Um, yep. That's, that's really interesting. I haven't considered that. Um, I mean, you do have friends who come and they sit right by the food in the dining room or the living room. <laughs> right. And they never move, you know, <laughs> they just right, sit right, right there, you know, but when, if you have anything where you have people mixing back and forth and a lot of standing ups and everything, people go to the kitchen, they just do. You know, I'm sure it's selfish too. You know, it's where the food is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need yeah. another beer and I'm right here beside the fridge when I pound this one yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Barbara, um, and maybe you might have some insight from this after, if you've dug into that uh, Santa Claus book. Um, I, I always get a bit tripped up because I feel like we obviously have the Odinic Santa Claus connection. 
and maybe I just haven't read enough on this, but you have the, you have the sort of Norse Santa Claus tradition and then people want to fold in all this Siberian shaman stuff. And I'm like, those two places are really far away. And is the idea that, and, and but okay, so I guess I should explain what I mean um, for everybody who's, li- who's listened, unless Barbara wants to say something. Okay. I can say something. So what he's okay. talking about is the Sami people have a lot of traditions that have to do with um, talking with the spirits and reindeer basically the basis of their their cultural identity and it is their staple food and they use reindeer hides to make clothing and uh places to live um now this is this is all back in the past not thousands and thousands of years ago but i mean this in the 19th century it was still true in the early 20th century it was still true um, and and there are those who who cling very closely to these cultural identity um, symbols that are real to them because it is their life, it is their livelihood. Um, but I didn't want them to think that you know they were running around and living in you know hide tents and whatever. And, you know, that's that's not necessarily true. But one of the things that they do use for shamanic uh, ecstatic religious and spiritual purposes is amanita mushrooms, which if you prepare them properly, you got to boil them. Um, you can eat it harmlessly and it does give you hallucinatory feelings of flying and reindeer eat them anyway because they do. I mean, foxes will eat them too. It's, I didn't know that. It seems to not hurt animals to eat it. But that's where you get your flying reindeer is, you know, they eat the flying mushroom and then they fly. Right. And some people say, you know, the, the color scheme of Santa Claus, red and white, comes from the Amanita. And oh, they, used I, to dry them in, they used to dry them in socks by the fireplace. and, and Yeah, like I'm not sure about the Santa thing with the red and the white. Um, St. Nicholas himself was a bishop, and so he wore white robes, and what he's known for is saving dead children, and for saving girls from prostitution, and Mm -hmm. so the red could be a symbol of the blood of the children he has saved, it could be... A symbol I mean, could of be, love. It could be tied into the se- yeah. It could be tied into the sex work stuff too. Yeah, you know? I was thinking it. Yeah. You know, it it basically kept these girls from being uh, sold into prostitution by their father. Yeah, but he had to camouflage himself in the red light district. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but he threw he threw money sacks into the chimney to come down yeah. to save the girls. So it was miraculous. Um, that's one of his stories. Also, if you think of him as Odin, Odin's rituals are not gentle. Um, yeah, yeah. The sacrifices to Odin were not cookies uh, under any <laughs> circumstances. It usually involved humans and it involved hanging them in trees and blood 
and yeah. guts and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. So if Odin is wearing white or gray and then there's blood, well then Yeesh. Yeah. There you I go. I never would have I never would have put that together. No. Yeah, that one just so, popped up in my head a few days ago. I was like, oh so, yeah. I mean So are the Sami is that Lapish? Yeah. Yeah, the Laplanders. Okay. The so proper I can see term the is line. Sami. Yeah, I can I can see the through line there. Um, that makes some degree of sense. And also by the time you get to um by the time you get to when a lot of this Santa Claus imagery really congeals and starts codifying, like it's entirely possible that you could be picking and choosing from completely different parts of the world, you know. I'm uh, sure of it. I'm sure of it. And you know, if you look at the advertising images and the nineteenth century images of, of Santa Claus uh in America you know, Coca-Cola is red and white. Their their logo is red and white. Has always been oh red my goodness. and white. I, I feel so dumb. I never put that part together. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're, it, red and white are very iconic colors. They're easy to see. And if you look at the 19th century um, iconography of, of Santa Claus, mm-hmm. uh, we'll go ahead and call it iconog- iconography. Yeah will make the religious studies people mad or they'll be like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. yeah gonna, depends gonna, on the person. Either make them very happy or very angry. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of Amanita mushrooms in some of the, the iconography coming up through the snow. Nobody's eaten it, but it's there because it matches Santa's clothes and because Amanita comes up in the snow. It doesn't grow in the heat. Also, it is a symbol of fairyland and fairy tales. So there you got your elves. And, you know, the thing that I had the realization of, um, I was literally, so this was last year. Um, um, I was, I was walking to take, get my children on the polar express and I saw, um, I saw some elves and for some reason I never really put this together, even though I'd written, you know, two entire chapters about fairies and the dead. Oh yeah. If, 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 if Santa Claus is this Odinic figure, then it makes a degree of sense that his underlings would be the dead. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it does make a certain degree of sense in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, perched a, some of her, little creatures that come with her are not just the Krampus looking guys who are the Perchton. There are also the Heimchen. I almost forgot which the name. You, well, you told me that, that it means a uh, cricket, which I yeah, haven't put together. The crickets. Yeah. But it's yeah. really interesting because they are usually represented as children holding candles, like corpse candles. And often the flames are not attached to the candle. They're floating upwards. Or there's light around them, or they are having their hands in sort of a praying looking thing with light in between their hands. So they're the souls of unbaptized children. Um, and there's there's some indication that their their tears water and fertilize the yes. the farms as they go. Yes, on. and yeah. and the thing about this that I found interesting is about eight years ago, uh, one of my friends asked uh, Wolf or Fox and I to go 
and watch the Bolshoi Ballet uh, Nutcracker that was, you know, going out streaming Mm -hmm. into theaters. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so she and her daughter went and I went with with Fox and we're sitting there. And it turns out that nobody knew anything about Tchaikovsky or ballet except me because I'm a big nerd and know lots of stuff about useless things. So they were asking, you know, the significance of this part of the story and and what that has to do with what. And, And nobody, you know, there was one part where one dancer did, you know, 20 fouet, which is turns on one foot. And I was like, that's... Oh my God, you know, so I'm sitting there going, showboating. Oh my God, you know, and everybody else is, what? And I'm like, that's hard to do. (laughs) That's a big thing. He's showing off. (laughs) Purely for virtuosity's sake. Yes, yes. That's a thing that Barishnikov used to do too. So, you know, anyway, uh, I, I was sitting there and the, the dance of the snowflakes happens and it happens after the Nutcracker has turned into the prince and after they've defeated the Rat King. And so they walk into this beautiful forest and it starts to snow. And when it starts to snow, all these like corps de ballet ladies come out and they are the snowflakes and they dance around. This is right before the sugar plum fairy business. And so they're dancing around, but as, as the, as as the girl and and the prince walk into this forest dance into this forest and it's dark and it's dreary and it's a graveyard there are gravestones and i was like oh oh um okay and before the snowflakes start mixing in there are these little children dancers who come through dressed all in white carrying lights mm. in their hands and they weave in and out of the the gravestones and i'm sitting there going oh, oh, yeah. oh and there is a female figure with them who's taller than they are and she's dressed all in white in, in and she white, sort of yep. dances through and then they they exit as the snowflakes come in it's a very interesting smooth transition but i'm sitting there nerding out like yeah. crazy and and uh, Amy said, who are those little kids? I've never seen that. And I'm like, oh, those are the souls of unbaptized children. And that's Perchta. And she was like, what is with what? German people? <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I'll explain later. <laughs> oh, man. This stuff is such... I mean, that was one of my big takeaways writing Ecology of Souls and why it turned out the way it did. This stuff is such a soup and such a web Mm-hmm. Of just interconnected stuff. I mean, you know, we kind of scratched the surface of the Santa Claus, Odin, Wildman constellation, but like even that alone could just keep you occupied for a very you know, for long hours time. On end. Yeah, just trying to sort of lay it all out, and it's recursive. It backs. You know, yeah, you have to explain one thing, and then you have to go back and try to explain the other thing. Yes. Yeah, and and you know, it's just so. Uh, it's just. I had a conversation with um, with a very, <laughs> I mean, if I'm being charitable, I'd say he was eccentric, but a very, um, he's kind of up his own ass, <laughs> uh, music theory professor. <laughs> 
uh, he would say things like, you know, um, this sonata is a simulacrum of human cognition <laughs> and things like that. Like that's the famous takeaway that I scrapped, scratched down once, but I was, you know, I was an undergrad and I was asking him about like, you know, why do people, why do people who would never dream of listening to classical music, um, like really double down on it during the Christmas season? And his take was that there was, you know, just something about, <sighs> I don't think if you, if you knew this guy, he was by no means like, you know, a traditionalist, but I think he was sort of like implying that there was a certain like traditionalist yearning that we all feel to go back to roots, to go back to complexity, to go back to, um, really sort of the, the divine mathematics that a lot of that classical music encodes and makes use of that we don't necessarily get in popular music today. And like, you know, listen, folks, I'm getting ready to, on Saturday, I'm going to play, you know, five hours of New Orleans brass band music. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not being elitist about this, but like, there's a level of, um, there's a level of thought and, uh, and a meticulous nature to a lot of this, these older, this older music that just speaks to a return to these more ancient modes of thinking and these ancient modes of being in, in relation with, quite frankly, the spirit world. You know, yeah. That I think a lot of us, a lot of us sense at this time, and a lot of us pick up. And uh, you know, I just, I, I do love like we were sort of started out talking about how Halloween is the beginning of this season rather than the end of the season. And I just, I, I find it so interesting that from like you know, from the time you set out your Halloween decorations all the way through till the New Year, mm-hmm. it's just pageantry, 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 and it's just. Yeah, it's, it's it's pageantry and symbolism all the way, and it's just it's I find it really reaffirming, and it and you know quite frankly um, spooky because I think that's a lot of what the supernatural is is it's stuff like archetypes and symbolism which we're just drowning in at this point in the year, um, you know b- bring back the Christmas ghost story you know oh yeah I mean what do you think that you know di- did you think Dickens invented that no Dickens did not invent that he just turned it literary. Right, which which brings me to something that I wanted to to bring up. Um, I'm going to read the original um, kind of terrifying description of the ghost of Christmas past here. Um, It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if it were as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. I I bring that up because I am well aware that... Dickens was not channeling the Christmas Carol, right? It's fiction. But I do think that a Christmas Carol might be a very 
good example of that Jungian idea that, uh, or that Jungian concept that ideas have people rather than vice versa, because, mm-hmm. you know, I know that he had an interest in a peripheral interest in interest in you know, the supernatural and whatnot, but like there, when you look, when you take a look at it, you've got spirits visiting in threes. Mm-hmm. You've got time dilation or time contraction. One or the other, mm-hmm. right? The spirits did it all in one night. Um, you've got these figures that are clearly drawing upon archetypes. I mean, what I just read sounds like any number of entities. There's the the illumination from the top of the head, which mm-hmm. makes me think very much of the uh, the epilogue of Ecology of Souls. Yeah. Another shameless plug. Um, and you've got uh, you've got all the you've got just, just this this tight constellation of things that that make me. It, it sort of brings, it's, 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 uh, what was it Colbert used to say? It was truthy. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's truthy. It's not true, but it's truthy. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds a little bit like the description of the Christ child or the Christkinder in, um, Hans Christian Andersen's stories. Um, there's, there's one where, uh, the blonde child wearing the long white robe hat is asleep in the church and it's not a baby. It's, it's a, you know, like 10, 12 year old child. And there's a light, you know, coming on him and he has Holly. I believe he has Holly in his hair. And uh, the main character sees this and wonders at who it is. And there's uh a uh, compass and a corner carpenter's tools and a hammer next to him. So this is how you, you symbol, you figure out that it's supposed to be the Christ kinder. It's supposed to be the Christ child and he's barefoot and he has sores in his hands and his feet, you know, but they're not described enough that you can get that until he throws the symbolism of the, carpenter's tools at you uh and and yeah and it sounds very very like that the just the physical parts of it not the symbolic parts well you know what i like about passages like that is that it it taps into the uh the uncanny Mm -hmm. um in in the actual meaning of that word um that you don't, you know, often get, and, you know, I've always viewed the ghost of Christmas present as being another green man or, you know, yeah. A, a sort of figure. And, uh, of course, you know, Christmas future looks like the damn grim reaper. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 He's deaf. Very much. So you'll not be remembered. You know, you'll, you'll disappear yeah. from these people's lives. No one will say anything good about you. You know, because you're a dick. <laughs> you are a terrible person. <laughs> and this is what's going to happen. There is your your graveyard. There is your tomb. There is your gravestone. And no flowers. Because you get yeah. no flowers. Because you're bad. And, I mean, yeah. hey, I'm not taking up for Scrooge. Scrooge was a, a creep. He was he was an ass and he was terrible. Yeah. Um, but, you know... It's very clearly that that the Grim Reaper came along for the ride on that one. 
I don't yeah, think it's and, a symbol. I, I think it was it was the Grim Reaper just coming along and going, yeah, I can pause for a minute and freak this guy out. Well, and I always found it interesting too. Um, I'm trying to remember if if this is actually in the book or if it's just in that George C. Scott version. But um, do you do you recall in in the George C. Scott version? And maybe if you know the book better, you might be able to tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. Where the Ghost of Christmas Present um, showcases the t- his two children. These are your children. These are your children, Scrooge, and it's like poverty and misery or whatever. These two like little frail children or something along those lines. And I always found it interesting that like that, whether or not that's in the actual original text, but you know, the, the idea that um, there's an elision uh, of the ghost of Christmas present with the ghost of Christmas future. They really do seem to elide, you know, the ghost of Christmas present gets more aged and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I always found that sort of to be an interesting aspect as well. Yeah. I think it's only in the, well, maybe it is. See, I haven't read the book in like 30 years. So Yeah, and it's been a while since I've done it too. And I'm, I'm busily like searching the Project Gutenberg <laughs> upload I mean, that I, I pulled I up. I have seen the George C. Scott version uh, many times uh, because I think it's one of the better versions of it. So um, I, I do I do enjoy that. But I don't remember. Yeah, see, it's... Sometimes what happens is you see a movie and then you go back and read the book and then the images from the movie arise from the book and maybe you should have read the book first and seen right, right. Yeah. And co-created the images with the author as you're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the things that aren't there stick out more. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Although sometimes, uh, sometimes the movies do interesting things. Like I thought it was interesting that um, in the Zemeckis uh, version the motion capture one with with Jim Carrey that at least two if if not all three of the uh, the ghosts were also played by Jim Carrey. Oh, that's that's a yeah very. And I think that, very psychological. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. Very psychological. Um, you know, you could almost sort of view that as like a polypsychic thing, or or you could view it as you know saying saying that it's all in his imagination. But it was an interesting choice that I thought you know with that technology you could actually do. An interesting way yeah i haven't seen that one so i'll have to have to look it up um and okay so you know he didn't invent the ghost story no of christmas that that there was a thing about sitting and telling ghost stories on christmas night or christmas eve night yeah ar- around the time of year around that, the fire yeah well and, and around the time of year that it was the day was the shortest that it was going to be for the entire year. Right. Like you're getting real, you know, not quite, doesn't quite line up, but it's very close you know, within a week or whatever. So, right. So, and that makes sense. It, that is the time of year that the wild hunt is out roaring in the, in the wilderness and bringing storms with it. Um, you know, Odin brings another, storms. you know, sleigh ride sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and you know it was it was a fairy time of year too. Yes. You know, you'll, yes. You'll read you know if you read Catherine Briggs and you'll find allusions to different cultures saying that that was the time when you would most likely have a have a fairy sighting. You know what's um, interesting about that? So hmm. if you listen to Tim, which I know you do, because you wrote a book, uh, two books with him. So because <laughs> I'm obligated you know, to at this point, right? You, yeah. you got to listen to him. <laughs> you got to listen to the Bigfoot Wizard. Um, 
anyway, he talks about when, when you see the lights, the little lights in the trees, sees a lot of them in the winter. And of course, he postulates that it's because you can't see it with the leaves. And that may yeah, that's, well that's be true. But, yeah. but still, symbolically, it does make sense. And some of well, the I mean, really big sightings I've had of them have been in the snow and ice. I mean, or, or that could flat out be true. And that's why that belief grew up. Yeah. That you see them more often in the winter. And people thought it was because they came out more. But no, it was because you were seeing them more. Yeah. 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 Or they like to prey on uh, humans in the cold because we have a disadvantage. I don't know. But we do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do. yes. Doesn't we that do. make the, the Santa elves so much nicer if you think about it that way? No. No. Here I am ruining everyone's Christmas once again. So, Mothman prophecies, Christmas movie or not? <laughs> I don't see why not. I mean, think about it. It it's it's creepy, but how many Christmas movies have bridges in it? Doesn't uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" have a bridge in it? Isn't he about to jump off a bridge? Yep, that's true. Suicide is not a trifling uh, thematic element. No, I always thought that that was kind of a strange sort of twist on a Christmas Carol, um, but. I also thought it was is was kind of creepy. I only watched it once as a kid, and the whole concept of this guy about to kill himself, he's that miserable, that I, I was just like, oh, <laughs> I don't like yeah, that. It, it does sort of cast a, a gloom over the proceedings. Um, and, you know, I have to say that the the primary motivating aspect of that film, you know, this vision or you know experience or alternate reality or whatever where he doesn't exist you know in hindsight kind of feels really 14 <laughs> in a lot of ways you know it does it does you know he he's he's taken in a time out of time and taken on a journey by a supernatural being of some sort uh who who happens to be an angel um but you know it could Might have been as well death. Be anything. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been death himself, you know. That the thing about Mothman as a Christmas story, as a Christmas movie, there are two scenes in that film that particularly have stayed with me over the past 10 years since I saw it. One scene is with Indrid Cold on the telephone telling him what's on his on his nightstand or on the dresser in the hotel room. That freaked me out. Didn't like it. No. And I thought that that captured the sort of existential dread that Keel talks about in that book when, you know, these, these entities start messing with him. Um, so I liked that one. And the other one is the image of the Christmas presents in the river after the bridge collapsed. And that yeah, is also I straight from the book. I was about to say that's something that Mary Heyer mentions directly. Yes, is she, does, she, she mentions having had those visions. Yeah, yeah, and so that, in so many ways, is one of those images that has stuck with me over the years. And I think that the the film caught that feeling that she talked about, and that you know, 
Keel talked about. And then, you know, people who've been interviewed for the, the latest Small Town Monsters uh, Mothman movie or documentary. Some of them talked about it, including um, somebody that is was a friend of mine before he passed. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's so good to hear him talk. It's so good to hear him. And he did he did that interview right before he died. That's so sad. Um, yeah, and, you know, having just been, as I have been recently, you saw me there, <laughs> to Point Pleasant for the first time. Yes. Um, you know, it's always interesting to to get a sense of geography for a place and to, you know, in, in a lot of ways it was like, I mean, I'm not trying to paint too rosy of a picture, but it's, it was almost like uh, visiting Oz or something or, or, or Middle Earth or something. Because you have an idea of what it looks like and then you go there and you, you get a real sense for the geography and you're like, oh, no, that's, this makes a lot more sense now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's it's a lot more stretched out than it used to be. Because that's how your your river valley towns go. They can only go so far until you hit the river. So they go in the other direction and stretch outwards. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And the downtown looks very, very much like old river towns um, from that time period. So... <laughs> Well, I want to go back and yeah. watch Mothman Prophecies now because I, I feel like in the film it's like so much bigger. Oh, crap, sorry. <laughs> I feel like it's so much larger than in, in the film than it is um, in real life. So I'll need to go back and get yeah. a sense for that. You get more of a sense of space from it, you know, a larger sort of space. Yeah. A little bit more stretched out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't watch it every Christmas like I do uh, <laughs> The Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, that's my traditional movie for wrapping presents. Well, I was going to ask, is Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean, this is the debate. Is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's both. It's both, yeah. I agree. I can I agree. And I can watch both. it two times in a year. So, yeah. you know, when the kid wants to watch it for Halloween, that's fine. And then I watch it by myself again so I can sing along as I wrap presents. So yeah, it totally works. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you could like watch the first half at Halloween and then pick up there the second half. I like Christmas. that. That's what you do. That's what you do. I like that. Here's, so here's the thing I've been, I've been trying to rack in my brain for other like famous Christmas ghost stories. And like, I know that they're out there cause I see lists of them, but I don't know if I'm familiar with as many as I'd like to. Um, that's I'd like to be. Yeah, well, that's a thing to to look into to start a tradition if you would like. If you want to tell ghost stories to your children at Christmas time, um, you could do a little research and come up with them and and you know read them to them. My dad, uh, one year decided he was going to read. I believe it's the Gospel of Luke that has the whole shepherds watching flocks by night and angel comes and scares the hell out of them and says, fear not. I'm sorry. I have too many eyes. (laughs) Also, also the most common uh, first sentence from UFO occupants. It's not take me to your leader. It's be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Yeah. 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 Coincidentally. I'm sure it's coincidence. Oh yeah. No, they're not the same thing. Not at all. No, no, no. But he, you know, he read that and (laughs) 
I was kind of like, you know, I liked it better when you read the the Christmas Carol, Dad. And he was like, why? And I said, because I know you don't really believe in that particular story. You know, because he always said the Bible was yeah. full of good stories and, and they were useful. I mean, he was a he was a uh, altar boy in the Lutheran church. And uh, as soon as he aged out of that program, he then would go to church with his family, but he would sit up in the in the balcony and he would lay across the pew. He was up there by himself and he'd go to sleep. And occasionally he would thrash in his sleep and land on the floor and make a huge crash. <laughs> and the minister would say things like, well, Mr. Fisher, I'm glad to know you're awake again. And yeah, um, so... And and the last time he went to the Christmas Eve service was with me. He stepped in dog poop before going into the overheated candlelit church. Oh, no. And he was like this, you know, he was just like, I can't believe blah, 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 blah. And his, his sister very joyfully smiled at him and said, that's because God knows that you don't believe. <laughs> now, she oh, was geez. just teasing him. Yeah. But, yeah. you know. And so, you know, we're sitting there and various people are kind of sniffing and scooting down the pew and you know, <laughs> there's a reason they're called pews and yeah. Um, but yeah, he didn't believe that and he, he didn't do the voices. Um, he did do an aside that, that was, you know, fear not. And I said, why would you be afraid of an angel? Because I didn't know. I was like four. So I figured angels looked like the pictures, you know, the, the, the just one pair of wings and two eyes and uh, no extra arms or, you know, fire, none of that, none of that. And he's wheels well, with the wheels and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, think about it. Wouldn't you be afraid if something just popped up, you know, you're sitting in a field and it's dark and something <laughs> popped up and glowed? And I was like, Oh, see, I see weird crap like that all the time. I, right, right, right. I, no, it wouldn't bother me. And then he went into the description as well, honestly. Right. They don't always appear as that. They can well, look it, like this. And and it's, I think that contemporary evangelical Christendom <laughs> is so much poorer for excising all the weirdness, you know, Um yeah there's this i mean there's there's this great book um that i recommend people pick up um they're interested in such things uh called tree of souls by howard schwartz um and it's basically an, an encyclopedia of um jewish mythology and i'm not saying that disparagingly but like that's the only way to sort of conceptualize it and and you you, you dig into there and you you know you realize that as a christian that this is your this is the legacy that your religion, your faith is building off of. And it gets strange really yes, quickly. Yes, it does. Um, it really and, does. And that to me has always felt more numinous and mystical and appealing than, you know, Oh, you die and you get a pair of wings and you go up to a cloud and you play a harp and <laughs> there are streets of gold and all this stuff, you know, it's just, yeah. It's sanitized for my taste, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. That I I agree completely. So yeah, he went back the next year to just reading from uh, uh Christmas Carol. 
Yeah. And then, you know, George C. Scott did his thing, and then he stopped doing that. <laughs> George does it better. You know, George C. Scott does it better than George Fisher, so there we go. Now, now was that your tradition was to read Christmas Carol, like, over the season, or was there, like, a Christmas Eve tradition? Uh, we didn't read the whole thing Christmas Eve, so... No. There, we we did what we basically did was read the end where you have the three ghosts and right. then he repents of himself and stops being himself and becomes a better person and helps out tiny Tim and there you go so that's uh that's that's how we do it. and in our household now uh we don't watch George C Scott um we watch the Black Adder Christmas Carol which is hilarious. If you have not seen it, you should. Okay. It is really funny. Um, so I, I think I think you would you would understand. You, it's funny. Did you um, to catch but that was our that? thing. That was what we did, and so okay. that's how I kind of have the whole ghost thing in in with Christmas in my head. We would always read uh, the biblical christians uh, the biblical christmas story in twas the night before christmas on christmas eve um did did you ever did you ever happen to ca- i've been i've been wanting to ask you this but like i don't remember enough about it and i didn't think it was especially good <laughs> so i've been avoiding it but i might as well ask you did you happen to catch that guy pierce christmas carol that came out a couple of years ago on like FX i missed or that yeah, I didn't see it. it, was, it was, they they amped up all the the strangeness and like made it like kind of spooky and amped up the ghost stuff and added some some things and it was it was interesting to watch <laughs> i don't know if i'd say it was good but it was like there i think if i recall correctly like there was some extra i think there's a new character like a new ghost character that andy circus plays who's like kind of like a psychopomp in the background or something if it was it was odd it was peculiar yeah i always thought jacob marley's ghost was pretty creepy as a kid, the description. So of remind him. me, why is his why is his uh, his jaw uh, cinched shut? Because uh, Scrooge wouldn't let him speak. Oh, so that wasn't that wasn't like a Victorian. Also, practice, <laughs> I was about or to it get was there, okay. Okay, is that's before people started sewing the lips of the uh, body closed because if you don't do something to keep the mouth shut it pops open because of rigor mortis and all of that they use glue now or something they have glue they do stitch they do a couple of stitches to make a smile that's the other thing that they do to make it look peaceful otherwise you're grimacing a little bit and they do sometimes some stitches at the eye eyelids and glue at the eyelids to make them not look as creepy. See, we don't yeah, just, really just, know what death looks me. like. <laughs> yeah, no, we it, don't. We don't. It, and so it's, it, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole funeral industry. I mean, I don't like open casket funerals anyway, because I'm, I, and I've been like this since a child. It wasn't that they scared me. It's that I looked at the, the body and I'm like, they're not in there. Yeah, they yeah. that's not what they looked like that's mm-hmm. that's a that's an illusion that's that's just, you know i never said this but that's the meat wrapping 
of a soul well, and in it. it. it the soul it, isn't there. I, I'm not interested. I don't need. Yeah, I know they're dead. Yeah. And 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 again, like the original use of that word, it's uncanny. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not quite what it yeah. should be. Like yeah. 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 Oh yeah, and my mom is a. She needs to see the body so she'd always nab me and drag me up. Not kicking and screaming. I was never that tacky, but I just kind of go and she'd look and she goes, "Don't doesn't he look like himself?" You know, they always say that he yeah. looks so peaceful. Yeah. Doesn't he look like himself? I'm like, Grandpa was never peaceful. <laughs> never in his life he would hate this. Yeah. He was yeah. the biggest atheist in our family. He would hate. All of this, he would hate that he has a minister talking over him. Mm-hmm. I don't even. Although the minister was really cool because he'd known my grandpa since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he sold my grandpa's seeds uh, as a kid for his whatever school thing, farm, like seriously farm area. And he said to the to the boy, apparently... These better be good seeds because that's the only way you get a good harvest. And so when he told the story, he said, you know, for all that he wasn't a Christian and really, truly did not like Christianity at all. And I find it funny that I'm talking about him in a Christian setting because now I'm a minister. But he's right. Only with good seeds do you get a good crop. You shall know the tree by its fruit. He was like, it would kill him to know he did that. But there we are. <laughs> well, there we are. You know, it's something that I kind of came to realize over the process of, again, writing ecology, um, is that it's almost cliche to say, but we do have like a religious impulse. And, and even if we are unbelievers, mm-hmm. like you still will let a prayer slip and you still will... Uh, you still will call upon your ancestors, and you know oh, my yeah. favorite. My favorite example is that you know even strict atheism, because you know a lot of atheists that I know love to trot out the "we are star stuff" quote, and I'm like, well, that's still a reincarnative perspective, you know. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. is. Yep. Um, yep. Just not in the same way that we're you know we traditionally think of it as. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. Death and uh, the solstice, the longest night, they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. Ghosts and the longest night go hand in hand. Ghosts and the wild hunt go hand in hand. Odin leads the wild hunt. Santa has the the sleigh and flies across the sky. Yeah. 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 Santa could be a creepy, creepy guy. Oh, also... How many pictures of crying children are sitting on Santa's lap in department stores? How many of those exist? I know you have them in your family. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, millions. Yeah. (laughs) Millions. There's just so many kids who are like, why am I on this guy's lap? The one picture where they they took me, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to sit on his lap. I didn't want to have my picture taken. So, So we had going into a crowded department store that was hot. And I'm wearing stuff for, for snow. For outside, yep, yep. Yep. Two, I had to go and sit on a stranger's lap. And three, I had to have my picture taken. So these are three of Barbara's most hated things right there. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. at the age of eight, I already hated all that. So by the time I get up there, 
I have the face. And, you know, and I'm just kind of like <laughs> with the evil face. And so they plopped me on his lap after I waited in line for, it felt like an hour. It probably wasn't. I was just a kid and it felt long. And they plopped me up there and I perched. And you could tell I was just about to jump off of him. You know, all of my muscles are tense and, and my hands are balled up into fists. There is no comforting look there. And my face in the picture is amazing because I'm giving him the side eye. I'm trying to keep my face away from him. So I'm kind of like looking out the side and, and they're like, look at him and smile. So it's like I'm looking and I have this this smile that, you know, now is hilarious and is one of my hallmarks. Because it's not a real smile. I'm baring my teeth. So there is this little blonde kid going <laughs> at him, giving him the side eye. Like, I'm going to bite him if he so much as moves his hands anywhere. I just didn't like that. And so they that, never took me again. That they, needs, you know, they never that needs did. To make its, that needs to make its way onto a, a mass-produced holiday card. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's priceless. Or a holiday meme or something because yeah. man, I had the look. I was just not. Mm-mm. Oh man. <laughs> What's your favorite Christmas carol? I have a few. Okay. See, this was this was the hardest ask me anything on the Ask Me Anything show was what's my favorite music? Yeah, it's musical like artist because yeah, I yeah. love music. So I ended up throwing out for the third one uh, Led Zeppelin because I grew up on it. But, you know, that's not necessarily true. Kate Bush was was true, though. And she is in my top ten. Anyway, Christmas carols. Um, Carol of the Bells. That's one of my favorites. Um, It's from a Ukrainian folk song. It's a Ukrainian folk song melody. And it is so much fun to sing. And I learned it in middle school, and we had one tenor in, in middle school who was a, an honest-to-God tenor, and that was it. We had no baritones. Um, so I got to sing tenor on it because I had the lowest-pitched female voice. So we got to sing the ding-dongs, and that was great. It was wonderful. But it's such a fast carol. At one point, the uh, regular tenor, for and he was one of my best friends, and he still is, he stopped singing the actual words because he forgot. So he was just kind of singing the notes. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just in rehearsal. And yeah. It was in rehearsal. So I just looked at him and went, sing, fool. <laughs> Everybody busted out laughing, <laughs> especially the... Uh, the the director and her her boyfriend so her boyfriend sang with us so that we'd have another tenor baritone and you know he could make sure carlos sang the words <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of them um okay. i like okom emmanuel mm-hmm. um I like because one. i love plain song sounding stuff yeah yeah um can you imagine how popular I was as a Protestant insisting when I was asked to sing solo for like the candlelight service on Christmas Eve that I insist we sing it in Latin? Oh, ooh, ouch. Yes. <laughs> I'm that went over like a lead balloon. 
well, you know, it's funny that whole that whole program that the choir director and Morgana's father and I came up with. Uh, they played guitar. Uh, the choir director was, in addition to being a basso profundo, which he had the most beautiful voice. Um, he was a classical guitarist, and he was really good. And so he and and Morgana's father would play guitar. And they did that for like three years straight. And then he asked me uh, while I was pregnant with Morgana if I would sing solo with them. Because my my uh, vocal range extended both in the high and the low because I was bigger. I had a big, big old resonating chamber and a baby right. and uh, <laughs> a lot of estrogen. So I yeah. went from being uh, someone who could sing tenor to mezzo-soprano to someone who could sing high baritone to soprano-soprano. And he was like, we should just keep you pregnant. I'm like, okay, you know, there's issues with this. Yeah, yeah, don't get me started. (laughs) You know, this is not a time to talk about that at all, no. So we, we did O Come Emmanuel, we did Silent Night, we did Rio Chio, which is uh, Portuguese. And the other one that I sang was Un Flambeau, Jeanette Isabella. And we, I sang them in all of their original languages. That, Bring a Torch is, is, one, of my, is one of my two favorites. Yeah, Absolutely. I love that one. So what's your other favorite? Uh, Coventry Carol. Oh, I love that. I love that one. Yeah. That's that's the one we sang in English. Yeah, yeah it's and, so you know, sad. It it is so sad. It's about the massacre of the innocents, but um I don't I don't know. Something something about me wants to find the uh something about me is drawn to the cost that was paid at Christmas too. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so that, and you know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily listen to it on re- on repeat, but like the um, the the pop song "Mary, Did You Know" like has yeah the, the lyrics have that song. sort of have that sort of weight that I I tend to look for past all the garland and everything else. You know? Right, right. Yeah. You notice that all of my favorites are the religious ones. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Even though well, yeah. I'm yeah. a neo-pagan witch i don't i can't explain it the holly and the ivy i like that one's as close to popular but even so it's still religious it's just got more pagan seeming well symbolism is it is it it appealing to uh because i I feel like my inner i can't even really say anglophile because obviously on flambeau is not english but my inner sort of like uh, European yearning <laughs> comes out around Christmas yeah. time too, if that makes any yeah. sense. You know what I mean? It's, it's that sort of uh, hearkening back to tradition to older modalities, I guess that, that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, the only reason that, that I got away with uh, Veni Emanuel in Latin was because all of the other songs were in their original languages as well in the, the, uh, which church was it? Episcopal? No, it wasn't Episcopal because they just shrug and go, "That was beautiful." 
Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Do what you want. It's the Episcopal Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pretty much. As as someone as someone who spent formative years of his life in the Episcopal Church, that's kind of the attitude. It's like, yeah, we're just glad I think it was here. the Methodists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Church of England, except American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We're Church of England, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Tea and cake or death. <laughs> yep. Yep. I would like tea and cake, please. All right, there you go. Tea and cake or death. Choose wisely. Like we're cake. running out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't expect there'd be such a rush. <laughs> we oh. had a tea and cake or death party for solstice of 2012. By the way. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I think I think I think you've mentioned that before. Yeah, that was that yeah. was tea and cake or death was fun. Yeah, that was a good one. I wore and all we, that. We, I, we staved off the Armageddon, so y'all can thank yeah. me later. You know. Yeah, I, I wore out that uh, my dad tape "Dress to Kill" off of not the Brian De Palma film. In case anybody's no, wondering. No, I know. What you mean. Uh, Eddie Although Bar- I wore that VHS out too, no, um, but <laughs> the, the, the comedy special "Dress to Kill," um, I, I wore that. I wore that VHS out during my oh yeah high school years. I can yeah. quote from it up and down, sideways, backwards. So yeah. yeah, I even went to see him live in in Columbus once. He and it was hilarious. But he he talked about how uh, we had no uh, wireless internet in Columbus. As compared to other larger cities, <laughs> he was right. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I, I think I might have seen him live as well. Um, I got to see Carlin live in, in Vegas. And that oh, was that was, wow! That was a sight to behold. Um, that, was that a sight would to be amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if I got to see Eddie Izzard, Izzard. I'm not sure. Have I feel you like I did. Have you ever seen Shadow of the Vampire? I love Shadow of the Vampire. Ah, oh, see, I knew I liked you. And I, I love that movie. You know, I could have, I should have included that on um, that soundtrack of Souls blog that I wrote about all the stuff I was listening to while I was writing Ecology because I, I, I listened to that soundtrack quite a bit. It's just very moody and atmospheric. But um, yeah, yeah, he's great in that. Defoe is great in that. Apparently, Defoe is going to play Nosferatu again in the new Robert Eggers Nosferatu. Yay! Oh, um, that's exciting! Yeah. He was very good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I think that 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 film is is quite underrated. It is. It is hardly yeah. any. I feel like hardly anybody knows about it, and it makes me mad. Okay, we've we've gone far afield into vampires. We've gone so far afield. This is this is like a a wandering the road Christmas style sort of thing. Christmas edition. But it's kind of like sitting by the hearthside around telling Christmas stories with your, your friends, telling stories. And and that's that's why I do podcasts the way I do because right. that's traditionally what we did in you know our. Our Athens family people, we'd all gather for cocoa and cookies and sit and tell stories, and it always came around to the weird paranormal stuff. I mean, we also would, you know, gather and have dinner and watch Doctor Who, you know, or right. you know, whatever. So there, it always came back around to we'll sit around and talk talk about stuff. But at Christmas time, it was it was a big tradition. 
I'm always amazed that, um, that, you know, Christmas comes and goes and like, generally speaking, um, Jane, like, uh, December 26th, like it's no longer Christmas, you know, maybe people, maybe people, maybe people will wait until like January 2nd or something, but like, I don't know why with the way that the culture likes to celebrate christmas but also like the consumerist impulse like why we don't celebrate until epiphany like that's always sort of confused me Papist you know. stuff. that's yeah, my guess yes yeah i guess yeah probably that's probably where people are coming from that would be my um, guess the the whole mistrust of uh protestants for catholics and for catholicism is is pretty strong i mean maybe it's because i grew up in west virginia and you know, hillbillies don't like the Pope. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just feel like you know, as, as strong as those, as those nasty sentiments are, I feel like the cons- the the, the uh, capitalist impulse is stronger. Should right? be like, stronger, I, right? No, it's going to be twelve days of gifts. Here we go. You know. Yeah, I right, right. Yeah, you, you'd think. Yeah, you would totally think that, um, but no, it doesn't seem to work that way at mm-hmm. all. But you know that that time between Christmas and Epiphany is kind of like a liminal-ish kind of time anyway, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's you know it extends the story of Christmas. It gets in my favorite Christmas characters, which are the three wise men or the three kings. Right. Um, because the whole idea of following a star is awesome to me. You know, yeah. being a witch, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's cool. Whether yeah. it was a comet, a supernova, a tulpa, whatever it was. Well, uh, you know, I mean, a thing God put in the sky. It doesn't matter. It's a cool story. Yeah, it, it kind of flirts with that um, that older star lore in a way that a lot of the New Testament doesn't. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's always been one of my favorite parts of the story. But you know, the way that the way that it's presented to us nowadays is like everybody showed up right there on December twenty fifth, even though it probably wasn't December twenty fifth. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's probably in the spring. As far as I I'm concerned, he was born and died in the spring. I had heard August, but maybe that's maybe the research has changed since I heard that. So it has to do with the flocks that you know shepherds don't hang out all night with their sheep except when they're lambing because sheep are okay they have issues with making the babies they really do you can tell we mucked about with the the genetics oh yeah but you can lose half of your lambs from a flock if you're not there to help the mamas birth them see it was so much happier when you said sheep have issues i was just hoping for a full stop there but now (laughs) now it got now it got sad (laughs) Now I got sad real quick. See, I'm such a ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs to know about farming and, you know, livestock and all that. No, sorry about that. Hey, context <laughs> is important. You know, context is really important. But that's that's where I always assumed that, that it, it came from. That's why my grandfather also never raised sheep. He's like, they were a pain in the, in the tuchus. This, I, just, I just I should have brought this up earlier, but this just occurred to me. Um, 
and I guess it, we can bring it back around to the to the wild man thing with Santa. Um, somebody wrote Timothy and me, and because once you see the Bigfoot or wild man woman in white thing, like you see it everywhere, right? Oh yeah, it is. You see it everywhere, and one uh, one of these individuals, I can't remember who it was, so my apologies if you're listening, but um, mentioned how uh, the traditional Christmas tree ornaments sort of encode that as well, because you've got um, the lights in the tree, right. or or the Christmas balls, which kind of are spherical Orbs. shining objects. Yeah, a tree, right? Um, Santa Claus ornaments is the wild man and uh, the angel atop the tree. If you're if you're not one of the star people, you're an angel person, I guess. Right. Um, the, right. The, the angel atop the tree is like a woman in white or like a figure in white. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, and I don't know if that I don't know if there's any deliberate or literal um, aspects to that that should be taken away. But at the same time, I think it that's very much the way that archetypes kind of work. So they just sort of yeah. Express they, themselves even if you don't think that they are, yeah, without conscious. Even volition. if you don't want them to, you know, even if you don't want them to, the right. the Christmas angel. I have to admit and say that we have a Christmas angel that's too big to go on the tree. She's to sit on a table, but she's not an angel. She's Perkta. So Christmas we Perkta. have a we have a Krampus face that we you know have wired to one of our lamps, so we have a Krampus face up all year. <laughs> And then she stands next to him with these, um, uh, it used to be fake poinsettias, two pots of Mm -hmm. fake poinsettias. And then she has all of her animal creatures because one of her more savory things is that she watches after the the wild animals. Yeah. Yeah, So she's the wild woman. And, and she, there she is. She has a cardinal on her shoulder you know, we added all this stuff. There's a rabbit, there's a deer, there's a this, there's a that. And it looks so pretty. Oh, but this year, I got some Halloween trees that are black, glittery, and bare branches. And they are Ooh. going to be her forest. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that is going to be cool. I dig and it. we'll probably put little tiny lights in there. So, you know, the lights will be there. Be a little Heimchen. Yep. Yep. Be a little Heimchen. If That's I could cool. find a Heimchen figure, you know, I'd put it in there. But you know, I don't know how you do a Heimchen figure. It'd have to be little dolls. Get a glowing cricket or something. <laughs> little Jim and go to go to a bait and tackle shop and get like a cricket lure. And just <laughs> hang That's it. awesome. I like that. Oh. Put it up in a tree. There you go. Put it up. In, yep. Put it up in a tree. This has been a weird Christmas episode, Barbara. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. We did it. <laughs> we did it. A couple of weirdos, you know. <laughs> weirdos talking weird Christmas, yeah. Yep, yep. But yep. Uh, I, I, I would encourage everyone to to uh, lean into that. To lean yeah. into the strangeness of Christmas, especially if you're strange adjacent like we all are. Um, yeah. You know, or, or straight up strange. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, um because it's, I guess it's, it's kind of going back to the Coventry Carol thing. It's like, um, the season can be sweetness and light and still have a dark edge of, mm-hmm. of the sweetness and light being hard one, you know, and you're at the end of a year and you might be thinking about all the things that went wrong this year, but you know, it's, it's again, that, that hard one 
darkness that makes the season really resonate. Yeah. And I will say that um, in our in our little family of weirdos, um, Christmas has been hard for a long time. Um, uh, we have a Jewish person and we have a witch and they're married. So the witch of Endor married the Jew. Um, and that's fun, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then there's Morgana who never managed to be raised Christian. So she's, she's a straight up pagan. And then Fox is, a, you know, Jewish, but not religiously so. It's culturally so, as is Zach. Right, right, right. So, and and then there's the issue with, with my family and that, you know, we don't get along and we don't talk. So, we created family. And that's what you do. You create family and you create traditions. And if you listen to our this podcast and you realize that Christmas is way stranger than you thought it was... That means it's for everybody. It means mm-hmm. that the pagans have our pieces of it. Even Jewish people can can partake. Um, and someday I will tell the really funny stories, maybe next year, about dealing with somebody who doesn't understand Jewish traditions at all, trying and messing things up. <laughs> but... <laughs> Until then, just understand that there are traditions that if they don't suit you, there's so many Christmas traditions, so many Yule traditions. Find some or make some up. That's how traditions happen anyway. You make them up. Yeah, I I guarantee you that some of the ones that you think are really old aren't. (laughs) And some of the ones you think aren't really old are. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing stopping you from creating anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It's part of the holiday. All right, everybody, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Blessed Yule, Happy Solstice, uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Diwali. I think Eid was last month, but we'll say Happy Eid. I don't care. And thank you, Josh, for coming and talking weird with me. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. (laughs) 